Good morning again. Hey, it's great to be back, second week in a row, and thank you for coming back. And thank the pastors for coming back from FEC Convention. Um, you know, we're part of a big family. I don't know how many churches in FEC now. Is it 70-ish? But, you know, have you ever, like, met family you never knew you had? And then you met them and you get all excited and encouraged? And that's kind of what it is to go to FEC Convention. I did not go, but I've been before. But it's wonderful to see and meet brothers and sisters who are part of the same family. And uh, I'm just really thankful today that uh, I can uh, just pinch hit again for Pastor Jack. And today I want to speak to you from another, the life of another Old Testament person named Caleb. And I'm calling my message from Joshua 14, old and bold. I feel that. I feel re- How many of you feel old today? Okay. Um, I won't ask about bold. But um, old and bold is Caleb's trademark. Courageous faith. And there's so much to learn from his life. I read a number of years ago about an Ohio native who was a World War II veteran. His name, James Pee-wee Martin. Pee-wee because he was so light and small. Well, he passed away last year at the age of 101. But uh, Martin was one of the first 101st Airborne Division paratroopers to land in France behind enemy lines on, in the hours before D-Day. And uh, he has experienced an incredible amount of combat. And uh, he gave an interview a number of years ago recalling the intensity of the battle that he was involved in and his attitude in the fight. And Martin said, no matter how many people there are against you and what the odds are, doesn't matter. He said, we were going to win. Uh, James Martin faced death every day. How did he do that? He said, well, everybody was scared all the time. And if they tell you differently, they're, they're full of it. You just have to accept it. If you're going to worry about dying all the time, you can't fight. If you're going to worry about dying all the time, you can't fight. I thought that was interesting. Well, back in 2014, to commemorate the 70th anniversary, next year is the 80th anniversary, but back in in 2014, the 70th anniversary of the Normandy invasion, James P. Wee Martin did something very interesting. He was 93 back in 2014. He jumped out of an airplane and parachuted down to the same Normandy field that he had landed in in 1944. This time, there were no bullets and no tracers aimed at him. And so it was a tad easier. But I'm still thinking... You're 93, and you're jumping out of an airplane? I tell us the story of Pee Wee Martin today because he sounds to me a little bit like Caleb, our Old Testament veteran warrior whose life we want to look at today. Now, you know, it's hard to read through the Old Testament. If you've read through your Bible, you're going to stumble across a lot of conflict, a lot of war, a lot of bloodshed. And God's chosen people, Israel, were called to fight God's battles in order to take possession of the land that God had given them, the land of Canaan. God had promised them this land through 
Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And after possessing this land at great, in great conflict, they were often at war to defend the land that God had given them. And you might wonder how much all the bloodshed described in the pages of the Old Testament fits in with God's command in Exodus 20, verse 13, where God says, Thou shalt not kill. And many of us know, well, that word kill means murder in the, 20, in the Ten Commandments. So the command in the Ten Commandments is referring to don't take someone's life out of hatred or revenge. But in other circumstances, God did sanction the taking of life. That's another topic. But what we need to remember is that God is the creator of all the world, as we sang, the king of all the nations. And his heart is to draw all those nations to himself. And his plan was to use Israel, his chosen people, as a magnet of blessing and a light of truth to do that. He put them in the crux of the continents so that they, in relationship to God, could draw other nations to himself. But nations and people resist God's lordship. And so in the Old Testament, God used Israel not only as an instrument of blessing, but he also used them as an instrument of judgment on the nations. Well, eventually, God's own people, Israel, if you know the story of the Old Testament, they fell under the spell of the idolatry and immorality of their neighbors. And they themselves abandoned God. Well, what happened? Consequently, after all the prophets had warned them over hundreds of years, God's judgment fell on his own people, and they lost possession of their land for 70 years at the hands of Babylonians who came into Jerusalem and destroyed the city, destroyed the temple. Years later, a remnant returned to the land. But the Old Testament ends with God's people still struggling to follow the Lord and longing for a promised deliverer. Okay, now we read the New Testament, who introduced, which introduces us to Jesus, Abraham and David's greatest ancestors. The promised Messiah and Savior, that's from Matthew 1, who came to set us free from the kingdom of darkness and bring us into his kingdom of light. And Jesus overcame our sins on the cross at Calvary. He defeated our enemy, the devil, yea, and through his resurrection offers new life and reconnection with God to all who believe on him. And I hope that's you today. So for a New Testament believer, a member of the church, the body of Christ, life with Jesus in this world is full of conflicts and battles, but of a different nature, mostly spiritual. And the challenges we face that God calls us to embrace in our mission to share with our world the gospel of love and peace have to do with winning the hearts of men and women to Christ. So back to our story today. Joshua 14 highlights the journey and the life of incredible faith and courage on the part of this 85-year-old veteran of innumerable deliverances and conflicts. His name is Caleb. He's the son of Jephunneh. His tribe is Judah, the same tribe Jesus comes from. And before we get into the text from Joshua 14, let me tell you a little bit about Caleb, this you need to know. He was one tough hombre. 
born into slavery in Egypt, where God's people had suffered for 400 years. Caleb's back had been the target of cruel taskmaster's beatings, as he and his fellow Israelites feverishly made bricks for Pharaoh's vast cities and Pharaoh's pyramids. And though Caleb suffered greatly, he had the privilege of experiencing this incredible deliverance from Egypt, from oppression, by God's successive miraculous acts of judgment on the nation of Egypt and its gods. And finally, Pharaoh yelled, Get out now! when his son, firstborn, died in the last of the ten plagues that God had sent. Well, after the Exodus, Caleb had witnessed the unforgettable crisis of the Red Sea when they were hemmed in between pursuing Egyptians and the sea. And this panicked and fledgling group of people saw God powerfully blow open a hole through the sea to allow them to escape destruction. Caleb was in that group. After that deliverance, Caleb experienced the wilderness. Three million people camped at a mountain, Sinai, for nearly an entire year with no Walmart in sight, sustained only by God's provision of fresh manna every day, and water from the rock of Horeb. And during that year at Sinai, Caleb learned that God was training his people to trust him. He was revealing his word. He was revealing his wisdom. He was revealing his heart. He was giving his laws to them. He was instructing them in the construction of their worship center, the tabernacle, where the Lord visibly showed his presence and glory to them every single day. And finally, in the wilderness at Sinai, God organized the people for war, and he selected and equipped a fighting force of 600,000 men. Caleb was part of that group. So three months of law receiving, six months of worship training, and then three months of combat preparation. There is a significance to that order. Former slaves must know their God. They must understand his heart and will. They must become worshipers before they can be warriors. The word and worship always precede warfare. So without a strong connection to God and his word, we fight losing battles. But after the training was over, God's people headed to the southern border of the promised land And they received the cue, the command from God, to enter and conquer those on whom God's just judgment would finally fall, and whose land God had designated as a permanent possession for his people Israel. Now you'd think the people of Israel would be eager to enter, eager to conquer, eager to finally settle down in their own land, in their own homes. But the reality was that that presented massive challenges to them. It was more intimidating than Egypt or the wilderness, those challenges were. Canaan was occupied by other people, the Canaanites. And were they eager to give up their own land to God's people? Of course not. It would take incredible courage. It would take tough fighting to dislodge the Canaanites. But God had promised to remove and overcome them on behalf of his people. I'll fight that for you. You just follow my orders. 
We're told in Numbers 13 one day, Caleb heard his name called by Moses. Caleb, son of Jephunneh. He'd been selected to be one of an elite special forces type group of 12. How many is 12? Yeah, there it is. 12 men from each of the 12 tribes, one from each tribe. And he was Judah's representative. And they were to take a 40-day reconnaissance mission in the land of Canaan before the Israelites actually entered to fight for it. So 40 days and 600 miles later, Caleb, Joshua, and 10 other spies report back to Moses and the rest of the nation. That's Numbers 13. Everybody's on pins and needles to hear the report about their promised land, get a picture of the challenges involved in conquering it. Well, the 12 spies reported back that the land was an extremely fruitful place of abundance, but also that it was very intimidating. The spies spoke of huge giants and high-walled cities, and that report struck the dagger of fear into the hearts of tired and almost, well, already apprehensive Israelites. And Caleb had stood with Joshua, just the two of them, eloquently spoken to his fellow Israelites, trying to persuade them, trying to get them to see that God was far bigger than any giants they might face. Caleb said, if the Lord is pleased with us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not Fear the people of the land, for they will be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Numbers 14, 8 and 9. I love that. Now, I don't know what challenges you're facing this morning, but I think you and I both know what fear feels like. What it does to our desire to claim our spiritual inheritance. Maybe this morning fear is where your heart is living. You can taste it. We're afraid of so many different things, aren't we? We're afraid that God won't come through for us. That's one. We're afraid that the road ahead of us will be difficult and painful. That's another one. We're afraid we'll have to suffer or our kids will suffer. We're afraid that we won't have enough to pay the bills or that we'll never find a spouse, or that our marriage will fail, or that our grandkids will suffer. We're afraid that we may not recover from an illness or an accident, and that we'll all, or that we'll die all alone. We're afraid that we'll miss out on the good things God has for us. We're afraid that we'll fail to connect with our generation and have no impact for the kingdom. We're afraid for the future of our nation. Maybe we're afraid for the future of our church. We're afraid of confronting evil all around us. We're afraid to get out of our comfort zones. We're afraid that following Jesus will be scary and difficult. Caleb spoke to the fears of the people. He urged them to trust God whose power and faithfulness has been displayed countless times before their very eyes. But Caleb's voice was drowned out in the chorus of distress at the prospect of their wives and kids becoming the breakfast of champions, the superhero giants of Canaan. 
and fearing the loss of everything precious to them and listening to the negative counsel of the 10 of the 12 spies, the Israelites essentially said no to God. We're not going in. And they considered returning to Egypt under new leadership. Only God's intervention kept them from stoning Joshua and Caleb and Moses, who had valiantly counseled entering the land under God's power and the promise of his presence. And because the people of Israel, in their panic, refused to trust God, you remember what God did? He sentenced them to a year in the wilderness. For every year, the spies, every day, the spies were in the promised land. Forty years. Forty years of wandering in the wilderness until an entire generation of fear-motivated, self-protection-driven, 20-year-olds 20 years, 20 year and older died out. Can you imagine what witnessing 75,000 funerals a year for 40 years would be like? That's a whole generation buried in the wilderness. It left a big, heavy mark, indelible mark on the, of sorrow on the heart of Caleb, I think. It only made his faith more resolute. At the end of that time, only Caleb and only Joshua remained of their generation. But under Joshua's leadership, here's the good news, the next generation of Israelites finally trusted God and they obediently entered the promised land. And in return, they witnessed God's incredible power in defeating the Canaanites and destroying their grip on the land that God had given them. And that's the story of Joshua 1 through 12. Now, where we are in Joshua 14, from chapters 13 to 24, the promised land is being divided up into allotments for each tribe. Finally, you get your homestead. Finally, you get your house. They finally get to settle God's people into their own places, but not without resistance. Though Canaan had been conquered, it had not yet been completely claimed by Israel. It had been given, but not totally possessed. And that was their job. Now, Jesus has conquered the enemy by his death and resurrection and ascension amen and we who belong to him have participated in his victory but there are still areas of life that need to come under his rule and formidable foes and challenges still exist for you and me inside and outside of our lives today's passage having waited 45 years for this day, we see a very eager and very bold Caleb stepping forward to finally stake out his personal homestead in the hill country of Hebron. And the first thing we notice about Caleb in this scene, where he's coming before Joshua to lay out his claim, is number one, his confidence in God. His confidence in God, verses 6 through 9. I'll read it. Then the sons of Judah drew near to Joshua in Gilgal. And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite, said to him, You know the word which the Lord spoke to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea? I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought word back to him as it was in my heart. 
Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of this people melt with fear. But I followed the Lord my God fully. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden will be an inheritance to you and your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God fully. Caleb is claiming his own. Now, look at his confidence. Caleb had been ready a long time for this day to claim his share in the land that God had promised him and his family. In the face of impossible odds and majority opinion, Caleb had never wavered from the confidence that God was able to do what he had promised. Bring his people into the land and overcome all obstacles with his powerful hand. And Caleb had endured heat. He'd endured cold in the desert for 40 years. He'd suffered with a generation doomed to die for their lack of faith. Caleb endured complaining, unsettledness, the occasional military encounters. He never lost hope that God would fulfill his promise to bring his people into their own land. And for the last seven years, Caleb had fought with Joshua under the powerful leadership of the Lord himself. And now he's ready to claim his portion. He's old and he's bold. Caleb exudes a devotion to God and a confidence in God's character. I love it. Caleb's testimony is this. I have followed the Lord my God fully. And Moses had said, yep, you're right. You, do, you have. Caleb refused to let his circumstances or the size of the challenges in front of him dictate his response to God. When everybody and everything around him cried out to pursue retreat and safety, Caleb insisted, God is trustworthy. He's bigger than anything we face, including the giants. Nobody's a match for our God if we'll just trust him. Come on, people. Sometimes we crunch the numbers of our difficulties, and we forget to factor in omnipotence. God is able. We inevitably end up missing our mission because we don't include God in his power. Caleb is confident in God, and his testimony to Moses was that he'd followed the Lord, my God, fully. That word for follow in Hebrew is a really interesting word. It actually means to be filled with, to be filled with. What fills your horizon determines how confident you are. Caleb's horizon was filled with the greatness of God, and his heart was filled with this humble trust in God's ability to overcome any obstacle. Caleb's heart was filled with love for God. It was packed with the Word of God. It was full of a deep confidence in and loyalty to the promises of God. They were on his horizon, even if it meant waiting 45 years. Do you know what? Caleb, the name means? It means dog, D-O-G. You go, wow, is that a name? I don't know if I want a name. Well, Caleb's a good name, actually. And dog's not a bad name. Caleb is loyal to the Lord as any dog has ever been to its master. Like a devoted dog at his master's side, 
and willing to go wherever his master goes. Caleb doggedly, persistently, tenaciously trusted and followed God. I like that. I wonder how confident you and I are in God. How faithful of a dog are you? Caleb said, I have followed the Lord, my God, fully. I'm all in. I'm connected. I belong to him. I'm trusting God in the face of my weakness. I'm drawing strength on my God today for the overwhelming things that are facing me. Wouldn't it be awesome to be able to say that with Caleb? In the early 1920s, a professor at the University of Tokyo became the owner of a beautiful Akita dog who followed him to the train station every morning. And then when the professor returned at the end of his day, there was his dog waiting to welcome his master as he came out of Tokyo's Shibuya station. Hachiko. That was the name of the dog. You've probably seen the movie. Hachiko wanted, waited to, well, he was as loyal a dog as there ever was. But one day the professor left for work and never returned because he suffered a massive cerebral hemorrhage and died suddenly in his classroom. Hachiko waited to no avail that day at the train station for his master's return. The next day, he came back. Evening after evening, day after day, Hachiko would peer, appear at the train station, turnstile wicket, searching for his master. This loyal behavior continued every single day for nine years until Hachiko died. By that time, Hachiko had become a national icon. And today, if you go to Shibuya Station, and I've been there many times, there is a bronze statue of Hachiko that sits outside the station. Meet me at the statue. Oh, that's, that's how people get together. Caleb was totally connected from his heart to his God. Undivided devotion to the Lord was his sole signature. Wouldn't it be great to live that way? Wouldn't it be great to have such a confidence in God and His Word that, they're, that His words are true, He has a mission, regardless of our gender, our upbringing, our education, our health, or nationality, with God, we are able to fulfill it. It's a beautiful and powerful thing to focus on God's size, not the size of our challenges, and to live with confidence in Him. With Jesus, life becomes doable, even when it's difficult. I'm not only impressed with Caleb's confidence, I'm also deeply awed by Caleb's condition. That's the second point, verses 10 to 11. Caleb continued his conversation with Joshua. He said, now behold, the Lord has let me live just as he spoke these 45 years from the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses when Israel walked in the wilderness. And now behold, I am 80 five years old today. I am still as strong today as I was in the day Moses sent me. As my strength was then, so my strength is now for war and for going out and coming in. Woo! 85 and going strong, old and bold. 
Caleb claims to have lost no ground physically, mentally, or spiritually over 45 years that have elapsed from the time he'd spied out the land of Canaan. What is his anti-aging secret? We must know. Well, everybody else in his generation has been buried in the wilderness. Caleb alone, along with Joshua, has survived. And not just survived, he has thrived. Same gait, same gleam in his eye, same eagerness to tackle the hardest challenges ahead. I am ready for war. I am ready for action. Give me my teeth and get out of my way. How do you be 85 and so full of passion for God and courage for new challenges? I mean, normally, right, the older we get, the weaker we get, the more likely we are, likely we are to talk about old conflicts rather than take on new ones. Caleb is chomping at the bit to revisit the site of Hebron where 45 years ago he had spotted imposing Anakim giants. Caleb's not taking a trip down memory lane to relive that mission. He's prepared to go in there and again and fight to dispossess the giants that are still there. I think that'd be like 93-year-old Pee Wee Martin parachuting into Normandy with real Germans shooting, not video, but real bullets at him. I have the feeling Pee Wee might reconsider that kind of adventure, but not Caleb. What is the secret, do you think, to Caleb's ageless male condition? Believe me, it's more than testosterone. We baby boomers are enamored with trying to stay young, are we not? Well, you're not a baby boomer, so don't answer, okay? Um, I turned 65 nearly eight years ago. <laughs> I am told that 10,000 of us boomers turn 65 every single day. And we are crazy about trying to stay in shape, even as our bodies show signs of wear and tear. Cosmetics, plastic surgery, hair coloring, fitness centers, staying, eating healthy, you name it. We try it. Some of us do, anyway. Maybe it was the wilderness lifestyle or the simple wilderness menu that contributed to Caleb's hardiness. Actually, I think it was more than that. I think it was the grace and power of God poured into a body and soul that is so in love with him and his mission. It may at first sound like boasting for Caleb to claim that he's just as strong at 85 as he was at 40. But notice in verse 10 what he says. The Lord has let me live. To me, that speaks of a humble heart. Caleb had a humility before God and a quick response time to everything God called him to do. He gave credit to God for the life that he'd been enabled to live. I think there's more truth than meets the eye that our heart condition affects our health condition. Walking with God, that is some of the best exercise a person can do. Now, note, not only do I notice Caleb's confidence and Caleb's condition, thirdly, I'm impressed in verses 12 to 15 by Caleb's choice, his choice. 
So he says, now then, give me this hill country about which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day that Anakim were there with great fortified cities. Perhaps the Lord will be with me and I will drive them out as the Lord has spoken. So Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. Therefore Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, until this day, because he followed the Lord God of Israel fully. Now the name of Hebron was formerly Kiriath Arba, for Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim. Look out for Arba. Then the land had rest from war. What is Caleb's choice? I'm asking for the giants. For an inheritance for me and my family, the toughest territory with the greatest obstacles and the highest difficulty factor. Caleb picked the hill country around Hebron where the giants, the Anakim, had lived in walled cities, were living in walled city fortress, walled fortress cities. I liked it. Caleb didn't say, well, you know, I've paid my dues, folks. It's time for me to rest. Caleb could have picked a secluded valley, a gentle stream. He could raise vegetables and flowers. He didn't pick a town where Canaanites had already been driven out. He didn't opt for a quiet cul-de-sac retirement. He's going for the giants. Give me Arba, the big guy. And his stronghold city, Hebron. Caleb is so old and he's so bold for God. And he doesn't believe in expiration dates. I'm 85, it doesn't matter. Some of us have been to Meridian Grocers in, here in town, right? You know where that is on Meridian there. Hey, Meridian Grocers, Meridian, yeah. They have a pretty strong and loyal clientele that includes Bobby and me from time to time. And their business philosophy is to buy goods that are past their expiration date and then sell them, use by date, and then sell them for a bargain. Maybe you think your expiration date of usefulness for God has come and gone. But remember Meridian Grocers. God is able to use any of us, even if it feels like we're beyond our expiration date, no matter how old we are. I'm sure many of us know this. Grace Community Church was started way back in 1987. Okay, that's 36 years ago. By a core group of 13 people, their unique quality was they were all retired. They were all in their 60s, 70s, and yes, 80s. That's who started this church. That's who God used to start this church. They sensed a call from God to begin a Bible-believing, gospel-preaching church that would connect with our community. And then they hired a youngster, 42-year-old Dave Reimer, who faithfully served this congregation for 30 years and then turned the baton, passed the baton over to Pastor Jack in 2017. Looking back, we can see the incredible work that God has done we're now a network of four or five Bible-believing churches, gospel-preaching churches that have a heart to connect with our community and our world. And we're so blessed to have so many people with this same heart of Caleb in this 
church family. Yes, I'm talking about you. Dave Reimer's parents retired and moved to Newton. Elmer and Tina Reimer. They were part of our church family until the Lord called them home a number of years ago. And at one point, Elmer, was, who was a retired pastor and evangelist, was 93 years old and still teaching a Sunday school class in the fireside rooms. Anybody in his class remember that class? Yeah, oh yeah. In his 80s, Elmer took on the overwhelming project of translating the entire New Testament into low German, his mother tongue. And then he followed that up with a five-year translation project of recording J. Vernon McGee's over 1,200 through the Bible radio programs into that same low German language. Those programs are still being broadcast around the world and listened to by, every day by thousands of people. Many of us know Jim and Shirley Gehring, who as a couple were part of this church family until Jim went to be with Jesus last year. Shirley's still around. I talked to her today, knowing I'm speaking on Caleb. She says, she's in her upper 80s. She said, I still feel like I'm 30 inside. That's the spirit of Caleb. But Jim and Shirley, in their retirement year, spent 13 successive summers as English teachers in Asia, seeking to influence educators in restricted countries with the winning, winsome grace of Jesus. Another of our senior citizens who's now with the Lord, a couple years now, Jerry Nickel, remember him? Jerry went 10 straight years in his 70s with us on the Amigo teams to Mexico. He was an inspiration and left an, an, an incredible legacy of work. Caleb teaches us that we're never too old or too young to develop a heart for God and His purposes, to exercise trust in the promises of God and to demonstrate confidence in the power of God. Learn that young and you'll be like Caleb when you're old. Here at Grace, we are incredibly blessed by so many who are serving, I'm talking about us now, with the gifts and strength, the heart and passions that God's planted in our souls when we walk with Jesus. And I want to say thank you. And there's still room for those of us who call this church home to step up into community life groups or leaders, prayer warriors, Awana leaders, Sunday school teachers, Summer Quest volunteers, nursery helpers, Transform, Young People's Ministry coaches, worship team, tech team volunteers, ushers, greeters, church planners, Celebrate Recovery volunteers, homeless shelter volunteers. It goes on and on. Mentors, encouragers of adopted foster care families. Finishing strong means that we live at 20 and 30 and 40 how we want to be at 80. Now, let me close by asking this, why did it matter to Caleb to take the tough assignment of Hebron? Why did it matter to take the giants? Because Hebron has a meaning. The meaning of Hebron is fellowship. Fellowship. Think about this. 500 years before, it had been the home of Abraham, Hebron was. The place of worship and communion with God. Hebron is where Abraham was living when God promised him and Sarah an heir. Hebron was the place where God appeared to Abraham and promised him 
personally that though his descendants would be slaves in Egypt for 400 years, God would bring them back to Hebron. That's where Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were buried in Hebron. But giants had taken over the place of intimacy and fellowship with God. They had occupied Hebron. And Caleb's heart was, I need to dispossess those giants and restore the place of communion and fellowship with God. That's where I want to be. What is occupying and dispossessing the place of fellowship with God in my life and in your life? What is separating us from experiencing His presence, His peace, His power in our lives? What are those giants? You know what Caleb would say? Brothers and sisters, let's get after it. Let's ask God to remove anything that tries to separate us from experiencing His love and grace. Remember, if God is for us, who can be against us? doesn't matter how big they are. He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him over for us all, how will He not also with Him freely give us all things? Everything you and I need to walk with God has been provided. Caleb teaches us not to let the difficulties of life separate us from God's good plans for us. God is with us. He doesn't just send assistance in the battles of life. He's there with us to guide and strengthen us. Ours is the effort, while his is the strength. True faith in God will not paralyze our energies, but inspire them. What would it be like for you and for me to remember that God omnipotent is with me on our side? Did Caleb succeed in his mission? Yes, he did. His conquest of the giants is recorded in verse 14 of Joshua 15. And Caleb drove out from there the three sons of Anak, Sheshai, Ahiman, and Talmai. The descendants of Anak, they're gone. Hebron was reclaimed for the glory of God by a man who never doubted God's faithfulness and power. A man who was willing to wait on God's timing. And a man who was ready when God gave him the green light. And I hope that that's you and I hope that that's me, no matter how old we are. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word for the accounts of those who walked with you and trusted you and who were used by you to accomplish great, great things because you are a great God. And I just pray that as we age, as we feel our bones, our joints, as we suffer the ravages of the fall in our bodies, the outward man is decaying but the inward man is being renewed day by day. Would you do that for us, please? Thank you for the eternal, ageless, timeless presence of Jesus in his church and in our lives. In his name we pray, amen.